Do I use this now or after to hang myself? I want to thank Phil for this wonderful topic that he's given me. Um, it's been an interesting exercise over the last few weeks trying to figure out what to, what to speak on. And I mean, it would be so easy to just stand here and say, Jesus is good, enough said, thank you very much. That's what I feel like doing in a way, but uh, thank you to the musicians for that wonderful opening. And I want to start with uh, a little excerpt from Bill Johnson, who is an evangelist. And he says that, His goodness is beyond our ability to comprehend, but not our ability to experience. Our hearts will take us wherever our heads can't fit. Understanding is vital, and it's often coming through the experience of God. Faith for the journey of walking with God leads to encounters with God. It results in a growing knowledge that understanding of truth, as in, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, Hebrews 11.3. Having said that, One of the great commandments of Scripture pertaining to the experience of his goodness is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. If you taste it yourself, you'll see it more clearly. Your perception of truth will increase as you experience truth more deeply. And I'm just going to stop right there for now. I'm going to begin with a question. All those who are good, stand up, please. Wow. Wow. Negative response, total negative response. If I said, all those who have been good today, stand up. Same response. I'm going to stop there because there's no point in going on with the questions. When I think of the idea of good, to me there are two aspects to it. One aspect is a non-moral issue, uh, very much of this world issue, appearances, Uh, possessions, power, that type of thing. But to me, it's all relative. It's all relative to what you're looking at and who is judging that idea. So I want to focus on two things today because there's so much to speak on and I'll never get to it all. First is good as in a relationship to someone or something. And secondly is who sets the criteria and who does the judging? The Old Testament word for good or goodness comes from the Hebrew word tob. The most common New Testament words are kalos, agathos, and krestos. And these words generally appear with regards to the moral sense, good of appearance or good of behavior. And there are many, many verses in the Bible that speak of that, and I'm not going to read those for you, but for example, a woman is beautiful and a man is, a good man is a handsome man. And those are found in Genesis 6, 24-16. 26, 7, 2 Samuel, Esther, Samuel, 1 Samuel. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible. A land may be good. The soil may be good. A tree may be good. We know about the tree of life. It's good. Okay, and I'm not going to give you the examples of those. And there are other things, material goods in this world, gold and wine. 2 Chronicles 3, 5, 3, 8, and 2 John 10 speaks of these types of things. But I want to try and somehow, as we go through this, bring it back to ourselves. As I speak, think of yourself and the relationship that you have with the Lord and try and assess where you are and where he is. As we've done this series, it's been very much about the two levels that we spoke about before. There's the level up here where God is with 
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And then there's man down here. And the fact that God, that Jesus, is our only thread, our only connection between up there and down here. So we want to keep that in mind. Here's a few other little items that don't have anything to do with the Bible in a direct sense. My elder brother, Joe the Elder, and Ryan and I hunt. You all know that. And I would say as hunters, we are pretty successful. We probably bring home game as often as we come home empty-handed. Does that make us good hunters? When Timmy or Finn or Bennett come home with a report card that are straight A's, they will be considered good students. But if we place them in a school with the very best of the very best students, with the very best of the very best teachers, and we taught the curriculum in Arabic, would they still be good students? Would they still get straight A's? What are the standards? And who judges that? Mankind does. We judge. Here's another item that's really mind-boggling. A baseball player who strives to be in the Hall of Fame strives to hit a batting average of 300. Or if he gets 3,000 hits during his career, he's considered Hall of Fame material. He's great. He's the best of the best. But think of that. That means that for every three hits he makes, he strikes out ten, seven times out of ten. That means that to get his 3,000 hits, he had to strike out 7,000 times. Is that successful? If you drove to work 10 days in a row and you went in the ditch seven times out of the 10, would we call you a good driver? <laughs> I don't think so. It just doesn't work that way. How about those that watch television, the MASH program? Most of you are familiar with that, I think. Very often, they will tout the fact that they have a 98% success rate. Those who are wounded that come through MASH 4077 come out on the other end with a 98% success rate. That's impressive. It might be good, but it's not the best. It's not great. And it's relative. It's relative to the other MASH units. With God, he has a 100% success rate. All who are wounded, all who seek him as a physician, are healed. A hundred percent. God is good. God is great. You know, when we talk about, about goodness, as I said before, it's all relative. So to go back to Joel and Ryan and I, who judges whether we're successful or not? There are many out there who are repulsed by the fact that we would shoot an animal, that we wouldn't just get our meat at the store, or that we wouldn't just not eat meat, period, that it's repulsive to do that. So our success is tainted, and the results are very different in the eyes of others. Baseball players, the same thing. There are many people who don't even watch baseball, can't stand it. And it's not because the baseball is not an exciting game to them, but it's the fact that one man can make so much money and not know what to do with it. Most of the baseball players nowadays make more, more money than the gross national product of half the countries in the world. To do what? Hit a ball. doesn't make any sense. Does that make them good? Not in the eyes of the people that look at it from that standpoint. Same thing with the straight A's. And I won't get into that any more than what we've already spoke about. I want to bring up a few other items before I get too wound up in this. If I said to you, Tell me who said, I am the greatest. 
I think most of you would know who, they, who I speak of. Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was a fighter, a boxer. And that's what he touted. He was the, beta, the greatest of them all. Okay? And it's hard to argue that when you look at his record and you see what he did and who he had for competition. But I will tell you, if you ask an older generation, my father, for example, he would tell you Muhammad Ali was not the best. He was not even in the top five. Joe Lewis was the best in his mind. And I'm sure that others would have other boxers or other fighters. Same sort of thing. So who judges their legacy? Who judges whether they are great? How about another one? The great one. Who here doesn't know of Wayne Gretzky? They dubbed him the great one. The best hockey player in the world, ever. But you know something? If you ask Wayne Gretzky, he'll tell you he's not the best hockey player, nor never was. Gordie Howe was. Other people would mention other names. But the point I'm getting at is that there are many coming up now who are called the next great one. It says to me that there's room for improvement. If Wayne Gretzky was great and he's not the greatest, that means there's one to come who is greater. With Jesus, there is no one to come who is greater. He is it. Case closed. So there's room for argument that the statements are wrong. Okay? And it's interesting to me to see that the aspect of good is focused on a single ability judged by mankind. Okay? So it's whether you can hit a ball far, whether you can put a rubber puck in a net, whether you can beat someone else to a pulp, whether you can uh, outclass somebody in a debating session, whether you dominate over them. But it's usually with regards to one attribute, one physical ability. It doesn't say anything about their moral compass, their traits or their attributes towards the world or above. So are they great? I don't know. I'm going to leave that up to you. Here's another one. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now that's a pretty powerful statement. It was spoken by Jesus in Revelation 1.8 and he states that he is the beginning and the end who is and was and is to come the Almighty. Now that sounds pretty arrogant. It really does. But when you look at it closer and you put it in context with all the other words in the Bible, it's not. It's very similar to what Muhammad Ali said, to what is said about Wayne Gretzky, to what is said about great baseball players or great politicians or great whatever, great musicians, whatever it happens to be. The difference is that with all of those people, excluding Jesus Christ, their skills and their greatness deteriorated as they got older. People were not able to hit 300 anymore. They were not able to put the puck in the net. That's why Wayne Gretzky retired. He couldn't do it. It took a toll on his body and his mind and his physical ability left him. And it was all based on one attribute, his physical ability to play hockey. It doesn't talk about whether he's a good person, whether he's rich, whether he's famous, whether he's powerful. It talks about his ability to do one thing. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He has the ability to do all things. He is great. He is good. In the case of Jesus as well, I find that there's no arrogance. There's no pompery. There's no desire to rub it in 
or to use his abilities to try and increase his worth. And that makes sense because he says that he is who was, he is now, and he is who will be. There is no changing. There is no diminishing of his skills. He will always be what he is now. In the beginning and in the end. What he had when this started, he will have at the end. And who judges him? Who says that he's great or good? It seems a little bit hypocritical for us to do it because we're not even at his level. So how can you say that? How can you judge that? What criteria did you put on whether Jesus is good or not? The only judge that counts is up there. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus focused on the Lord. And here's where it gets a little bit difficult for me because to me the Bible can be very contradicting somehow in some ways. But that's okay. I understand that it's a mystery and someday he will reveal it to me. But there are sections like, for example, in Luke 22, 27 to 29, when you keep in context with the fact that he's the Alpha and Omega, he's asked that who amongst his disciples is the greatest? And he says, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed it upon me. There's no arrogance there. He's willing to give you the kingdom that he has that was given to him by his Father. He could have said, Look at you people are not great. I'm great. I'm good. I'm worthy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all. And in fact, he shows them by the fact that he serves, and they're eating at the table, that he has lowered himself to a different level in order to bring them into that family, to give you that thread between him and the Lord. Who amongst the disciples had a kingdom that was bestowed upon them by God? Only Jesus. That's pretty good. Who has a kingdom to share, to give the world and the world above? None of us, none of the disciples. Think of the Pharisees, how they thought they were doing things right, but they got it wrong. How many times was Jesus challenged, the lady at the well, healing people on the Sabbath? feeding people, those types of things. He was criticized for that. Was he wrong? Was he bad? When I asked Joel whether Jesus was good, he said to me, well, he's not bad. So does that make him good? A baseball player that hits 300, does that make him good? He didn't hit 700. That indicates that he's bad. But Jesus has no room for improvement. He is the best. He is the greatest. He's there already. He never rubbed in the fact that he was the Son of God. You know, he could have done that. He could have looked at those people, those disciples, and everybody else he spoke to, the Pharisees, and said, you're a sinner. You're at a level below me. I'm the Son of God. Listen to me. Follow me. Do this. Do that. 
because I can bestow these things upon you. You know, that sounds eerily similar to what the devil did to Jesus when he tried to tempt him. He said, come to me and I will give you the kingdom of the world. I will give you all that you seek. Jesus didn't need that. He already had it. There was nothing that the devil could give him. But let's be honest. I mean, what Jesus was saying is that we all fall short. This balance between good and bad, bad and evil is a difficult one. But, you know, in Matthew seven seventeen and 18, he says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Think about that. That says to me you can't be good and bad at the same time. Or you can't be good and then bad and then good. You're either good or you're bad. That's, that's almost what that says to me. And yet further on in Romans 3, 10 and 23, and you've all heard these before, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And back in Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Wow. Where does that put Jesus? There can be no evil, no sin in the Lord's presence. And there is not one who is righteous, no man on earth. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all bad fruit. Now we know we're sinners. If you accept what the Bible said, you know that you are a sinner. You are born into that. You know, at the same time, if the Bible is truth, then none can be good and bad at the same time because all have sinned and fallen short. What does Jesus say about it? In Matthew 19, 17, Jesus says, when asked the question, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. That's a pretty amazing statement, and and it sort of flies in the face of what we're talking about because it says that no one on earth is good. Jesus was on earth. Does that mean that he was saying he wasn't good? It sounds that way. But I think that in the context of what he was saying and where he was coming from, I think he was talking in terms of the world, not in terms of of God or of Jesus the Son or the Holy Spirit. Because that's that's a level that is above. And when you come to know the Lord, and I'm assuming that Jesus would be in this category, that he was in this world but was not of this world. And so I'm saying that he may have been speaking on that context, but I don't know. But it does seem to contradict what we're saying, that Jesus is great, Jesus is good. Because he says himself that no one, no man is good. So where does that put us? You know, we talked about things being relative. And I think it is relative. In the first part, when we talked about baseball players and we talked about grades of uh, school children and that type of thing, it's all relative to who is judging it and what the criteria are when you consider the judging. So are we looking at it just for all baseball players that they are good? Or are we looking at it for all players in sports? Are we looking at it for all speakers who are able to debate well? Or just political speakers? Scholastical speakers? Everybody? 
It's the criteria that you put on. So it's all relative. But when you talk about Jesus, it's a different type of relative. He is our brother because he has asked us to come into the family of God. He has asked us to become a relative of his. He has asked us to recognize a father above. And because of that, he shows you goodness and love that you can't experience in any other way. It's a place where only good can reign and where only one can be the judge. And I think even Jesus was saying that in that phrase, that he will not judge, that the one above judges, that God above judges. So there's a lot of interesting things here because... There's other verses in the Bible, for example, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, that says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, in other words, knowing that you were not brought to this place with bad or evil intentions or thoughts or doings, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, who were sinful, but with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without blemish, without spot, perfect, good. Wow. Goodness is praised throughout the Bible. It's praised in the Psalms 25 8, 34 8, 86 5, 100, verse 5. And I could go on and on and on. Jesus affirms the Father's goodness when speaking to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 17 and in Mark 10 18. The Psalms speak of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. If you were here for the breaking of bread service this morning and you didn't sense that God was good, that Jesus was good, that the Holy Spirit was good, um, I think you were dead. I'm sorry. It just doesn't make sense to look around and see the compassion and the love and the patience the unchanging desire to have you as part of his family, a relative, it's hard to say that Jesus is not good. Listen to Timothy. He says, first of all then, in 2 Timothy 1, first of all, I urge you that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one man and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's that thread again. And there's the goodness that connects us to heaven. So certainly Timothy seems to understand that Jesus is good, that his goodness must be intimidated, imitated, pardon me, not intimidated, imitated, exalted, duplicated. We are made in his his image. We need to try and strive to be in his image. Pleasing, good in the sight of God. Certainly I can't fully answer the statement as to whether Jesus is good or not, but I think that the word is too common to be used in his presence. I think the word needs to be great or alpha and omega, beginning and end. Uh, 
He is in that level. Whether it's the present state or whether it's the state above, Jesus is indeed great. We tend to measure him against the world and what we can understand and what we can try and put parameters on. But there is no equal. And he's not worried about what you think about him. He doesn't care what you judge or don't judge about him. What he is concerned is in the Father and the Father alone. And that is what makes him great. He came to earth because the Father was separated from us. He stopped that separation. I want to close with a few more words from Bill Johnson because I think it's, it's relative to what we, what we talk about here. And as I said, we're talking about two relatives. We're talking about relatives to the world and things of this world, and we're talking about relatives as in family and how he wants you to be part of that family. And I think you have to see it that way. But I think you also have to see it from a personal standpoint. Go into your private space. Go into that place where only you and the Lord exist. And spend time asking yourself, what is it that he's done for you? When I look out at the crowd here, most of us are over 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever. Most of us have had 10,000 days on this earth, 20,000 days on this earth, maybe a few more than that even. How many of those days were you good? How many of those days were you bad? How many of those days was Jesus not with you? That's a scary thought, isn't it? On all those days that you were bad, I asked you who was good today. Not one of you stood up. So today is a bad day for you. Each and every one of you know that today was not perfect. Yet the Lord is here with you today. He's patient, loving, kindness to you, compassionate to you, asking you to continue on. He knows you're not going to be perfect. He knows you can't do it without him. But he offers that to you. So once again, I want to close with just a little blurb from Bill Johnson again. He says that we can't exaggerate the goodness of Christ. Either he is authentically good or he is not. I would never suggest that he is different than he is. Nothing is accomplished by allowing our imagination to create our own image of God. He would be no better then than God's made of wood or stone or human initiative. God's image stands alone, undeniable, unchangeable. Discovering who he is and what he is like is the only possible way to discover his true goodness. This eternal journey into his infinite goodness is the only one we are privileged to embrace. He is either greater than we can imagine, understand and perceive, or he is not God, we are. Neither can we exaggerate his goodness. We can twist it, we can pervert it, we can dilute it, we can avoid it, we can misrepresent it. But the one thing we cannot do is exaggerate it. The goodness of God is unique and steadfast. It will take all of us, all of eternity, just to broach the subject of his goodness. Give that some consideration as you go about your day. Let's just close in prayer, please. Thank you, Jesus for your goodness to us, for loving us when we did not deserve it, for allowing us a second chance to be with you, to be redeemed, for giving us hope and assurance of your eternal goodness 
and thanking you for being relative, our relative. Lord, we just thank you for all that you have done for us, for being patient with us, loving towards us, unchanging, unwavering in all that you do, for being that thread that connects us to the Lord above. We thank you and pray these things to the Lord through your name. Amen. Thank you.